1: I'm Callie Crossley, and this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. And now for the part of the show we call lanya That's Creole for something extra. Students and teachers had their worlds flipped upside down last year when the pandemic forced most to swap chalkboards for Zoom screens. Such a big part of teaching online for many became visual. But what about the challenges of online learning for those who are visually impaired or blind? Our neighbors at Perkins School for the Blind in Watertown had to think quickly about ensuring their students still received a quality education and maintained community when they went remote. A sense of touch is fundamental to those without a sense of sight. So, how did Perkins students, teachers, and parents manage in a world that was suddenly socially distant? Joining me to speak about this, Rachel Antonino, lower school teacher at Perkins School for the Blind. Welcome, Rachel.
2: Hi, thank you.
1: Also with me, Matteo Faso, a senior at Perkins. Hi, Matteo. Hi. And Michelle Conti, Matteo's mother. Thanks for joining us, Michelle. Hi there. Thanks for having us. Well, I'm very excited about this conversation. I'm going to start with you, Rachel. You've been a teacher at Perkins for some time. So this change of how you operated had to be a shock. It was for teachers in every other school. When did you find out that the school had to stop operating as it had and go remote? And what was that like for you?
2: So it was definitely shocking. That's a great word for it. At the start of the pandemic, it was very sudden when things were actually officially shut down. We sent students home on the buses and shortly after that found out they wouldn't be returning, which was really, really surprising. And I'd say I went into a bit of a panic thinking, what am what are we going to do? How are we going to, how are we going to provide? education to our students. So it was definitely a a scary time at the beginning there.
1: But you all rebounded rather quickly. So I know everybody's curious about what did you put in place? Because everybody else was relying on Zoom and that from the vantage point of most sighted people is quite visual. So what happened at Perkins?
2: You know, we're lucky enough to have a really excellent team of assistive technology specialists, and IT specialists that were able to get us set up with Google Classroom, which worked for many students, with the Zoom app for teachers across the board. But it was really all hands on deck. Parents were an integral part, parents and family, to help get their children connected to us through through the internet, through Zoom, as well as working with our tech teams and other teachers to kind of jump in and think creatively how we can how we can still kind of connect with our students. As you said, it was very visual. So we were really presented with the challenge of how to share content with our students, given their variety of needs and technology that they were able to access.
1: So I want to put this in context so that if there are people listening who are unfamiliar with Perkins School for the Blind, Perkins is not just uh, an institution in Watertown, but it's nationally and internationally known. And you are a space that has long been a place where there's been innovation of all sorts at all times. And so that really kicked in at this moment as both the teachers and the parents together came up with a plan to go forward in terms of getting the schoolwork out. And then You know, beyond that, just, you know, toot your horn a little bit, Rachel, (laughs) talk about, you know, what you all were able to do right away with that Google Classroom and how important that sounds simple, but actually it's not.
2: You know, we we had some great training right off the bat, which I was so appreciative for because. Google Classroom was new for me, as well as Zoom. And I consider myself fairly tech savvy, but with the trainings, I was able to to pretty quickly with with my coworkers uh, start to feel comfortable with setting up our online classrooms, adding our students to those classrooms, and able to send digital material. The real challenge was that sort of hands-on aspect that you mentioned, Callie. So we quickly you know, got, got boxes and packages together. We were still able to be at school for a little while to kind of gather some supplies. And we sent off packages of, braille passages, sort of like hands-on crafts that we could think of that might be beneficial for students to have at home for potential hands-on activities we might need to do. And we tried to think sort of generally sending things like beads, paper towel tubes, well, those things they had at home, you know, feathers, different sort of tactile material that we might make use of. And that actually turned out to be really great and a big part of some of the activities we did while we did a lot of um, audiovisual and some of our learner's do have vision and just varying degrees of vision. So, you know, we did provide visual audio material through the Zoom meetings, but then we're also able to plan activities. For example, we started the year off with with Earth sciences and we started with astronomy. And I wanted to think of a way to make a lesson on moon phases accessible. I mean, the moon is such a a challenging concept for someone who's blind or visually impaired it's just this thing up in the sky and if you can't see it very well how do you know what that looks like and how that changes so i have a great teacher shira edelman that i collaborated with and we came up with the idea of oreo cookies and parents were able to get oreo cookies in their homes and we did an activity on moon phases where our students were able to feel the cream part of the oreo cookie and and you know use a plastic knife to kind of change the amount of cream that was in the filling to talk about the different moon phases and it was a really fun activity and it was a way for them to sort of understand how the moon looks up in the sky during the different times of the month.
1: Not to mention you could eat it afterwards.
2: Not to <laughs> mention, yeah. There's really a multi-sensory when you're involving taste. And multi-sensory is really the approach we always try to achieve in our teachings. So you know, uh, another activity we did studying the solar system. We sent home a variety of really fun tactile beads of different colors and sizes and textures. And we talked about the different planets and the different sizes and colors and the red spot on Jupiter, some of the different attributes. And we let the students pick out beads that they felt represented the different planets and they strung them on a string to see how far apart they were from us here on earth. And that was another way for them to sort of tactile get an idea of, you know, what's going on in our solar system. And I I think it was a really successful lesson given our challenges.
1: Oh, it sounds great. That's my guest, Rachel Antonino, lower school teacher at Perkins School for the Blind. One of her colleagues, Perkins teacher Stephanie Megna, explained how she teaches literacy lessons remotely to one of her students named Schroeder.
2: Since working remotely, we've had to adjust our practices as we're no longer able to see students directly in their homes or at daycares. So now we're using a virtual platform and we're able to connect with parents and with team members. For Schroeder, we kind of create kind of story box type activities where he's listening to the story but also getting a tactile component.
0: Elmo Dachkin, okay, right here, Turner. Turn the page.
1: Oh, turn There's- the page. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley, and I'm speaking with Perkins School for the Blind teacher, Rachel Antonino, Perkins student, Matteo Faso, and his mother, Michelle Cunty. We're discussing how visually impaired students manage during a year of remote learning. Well, Matteo, all of this innovation, all of this attention, of course, is being focused on you students. What was it like for you to go from being at school with all of your friends and classmates to going home and then trying to learn in a different way.
0: It was kind of good. I got to sleep later.
1: <laughs> okay, sleeping later. It's not where I was going for going for, Mateo. But was it hard for you at first?
0: Yeah, but only had the my old favorite teacher, but then retired, so I didn't mind.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, as I understand it, you're really quite a tech whiz. So just the whole, you know, going onto the Zoom platform or figuring out how to do these Google Classrooms, these virtual meetings, you got comfortable with pretty quickly. Yeah. Um,
0: even on my
1: computer, Kate Crohan told me how to download Zoom on my laptop. At first, I could only do it on my phone. Okay, and so you you were really good then because you got it on your laptop. Yeah, Kate Crowhand is my computer teacher. And did you feel comfortable after you got all the components on your computer? Were you comfortable learning that way? Was Was it okay for you then?
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: All right. Now, Michelle, we've heard from the teacher, Rachel, that parents were really an important component of this. Obviously, the focus is on the students like Mateo, but you all had to pick up slack. I'm sure all parents listening to this, all of them, because they had to do the same thing with their kids in other schools. But there were extra challenges for you. So please share with me.
0: Yeah. So when this first happened, it was kind of like, what, what do we do? You know, here's the software, go ahead and jump in. And I was a little familiar with Google classroom from my younger son who has it, but not that I had to actually sit down and really try to figure it out. So Mateo and I did that and he is very tech savvy. He was able to navigate around it. He has jaws, which is a speaking software for Mm -hmm. blind people. And he used that to figure out how to use that. So he was a pro with it before I was and then Zoom, he did really take off on Zoom before the pandemic. He'd never used it before, and like he said, Kate Crowhan introduced it to him, and he then started signing up for everything. I mean, the, he even signed into the teachers' meetings secretly, <laughs> thinking he was going to get in there and listen to them. But you know, so as a parent, it was it was very stressful because I didn't know how much I was going to have to take on. You know. Mm-hmm previously he would be emailing his assignments to teachers um, but never in a zoom fashion mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden every class was zoom and he he really he really figured it out he knew how to log on and how to mute himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he was participating in everything. So they would have different classes that you could sign in for. And he signed in, there was an exercise class that he would sign in. And every morning he would do mediation, right, Mateo?
1: Yeah. Yep. After you woke up late. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> On those days when there was that, he would get up. He did get motivated. He did like that he could Zoom in his bed. That was that was one thing that he was excited about. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Another thing that really worked out, uh, we participated in the outreach program that was after school, Perkins outreach program. And they normally do, you know, before the pandemic, they'd have cooking weekends that all the students would go on campus and they'd stay over and do cooking. Well, this was once a week after school, we would all sign in, you know, it was a group of us and we'd all make one recipe together. And so in everybody's house, we're doing the recipe and Courtney, who's the instructor, she would watch us over Zoom and tell, you know, she was very good because as parents, sometimes we forget to take a step back, you know, and she'd be like, Michelle, is Mateo supposed to be doing that? (laughs) And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to step back. And so it was very good because he actually got to learn in his house. Mm. You know, when they go away, they're in somebody else's kitchen and they have to bring those skills here. And it's hard to generalize. So it, it was It was a really a plus. It was a great experience. He got to cook a lot of different recipes that were actually pretty good um, for us right here in the house.
1: One of the things that had come up with all families with school aged kids had to do with, you know, feeling a lack of community, you know. So the the after school programs that you mentioned had to be quite critical for the students at Perkins as they would be any place else because you know, you feel sort of somewhat isolated from, not somewhat, you are isolated from your classmates in a way that certainly you, you never anticipated being. So I was very interested to learn about all of the activities that were in place for the students. And Matteo, I understand that you are particularly fond of the Friday night dance parties. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I'll have to move it to Friday night once Stephanie wants back at school. I'm told you had a favorite song. Let's take a listen from the B-52 song, Rock Lobster. Yeah. (laughs) Just wanted to make sure everybody understood what your favorite song sounded like. But the Friday night dance parties were great for you, Mateo. Yeah. Oh, good. All right. So back to you, Rachel, the community building piece of it uh, had to sort of work hand in hand with the lessons. Uh, I know it, it It normally maybe it wouldn't have, but I think in this, in the pandemic situation, it became critical, I would say. Um, uh, can you speak to that?
2: Absolutely. I mean, you know, a big part of, of school, it's, I mean, yes, it's, learning and it's education, but such a huge part of that is the social experience that our students get by coming and seeing their peers and um, working on social skills and having time with their friends. And so much of that was missing for them. They definitely felt that that loss. So we absolutely tried to incorporate more games and social activities into our dayt- daytime lessons. For example, during a lesson on ancient civilizations, we spent a, a time playing um, a game in which the students built their own, they were their own uh, ancient civil civilization tribes and they got resources and had to, uh, you know, see what natural disasters happened each year and how many villagers they had left. And it was this very social, fun, interactive game that we played together online that, you know, was also targeting them just having time with their friends and having fun and also tapping into that educational piece. We also did some things socially after hours. We had movie nights with um, our students and their families where we screened over Zoom a movie. The students got to vote what movie they wanted to watch together and then have a little time to talk about it after before everyone was was ready for bed. Um, Sometimes we'd have some trivia questions. Several of our students participated in the braille challenge which was done virtually, which is a Braille, a challenge for Braille readers. And we had a a party celebrating our um, participants and all of the class showed up and celebrated with them. So we tried to also really add in some more social events and time for just our students to get to be kids with each other, because that was a real one of the biggest parts of the challenges, I think, during the pandemic this year.
1: Speaking of Braille, as I understand it, the team at Perkins really worked hard to give you a special, more improved tool or a way in which you could uh, use something called the Perkins Smart Brailler, which I want you to talk about. But I, first, I want to, listeners to just hear, this is a description of of what the Perkins Smart Brailler is.
2: Braille the letter. Y. Why? Why? Well done. Next question. Our students have an epiphany when they Touch the braille on the page and they hear it spoken to them for the first time. See, 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 see.
0: It's a mechanical device that we're converting into an electronic device. This is a Windows computer basically on the front of this Brailler.
2: This technology incorporated into Smart Brailer has really propelled Braille and the Brailler into modern times and made it more relevant.
1: So how important was that in your classroom work, Rachel?
2: So the Smart Brailler is a really fabulous device it's not something that my students use as much because many of my students are a little further along in their braille learning, whereas a smart brailler, from from my perspective, is a really amazing tool, particularly for teaching braille to our emerging braille braille readers. Um, and it's it's interactive and it allows gameplay and it's very encouraging and motivating, uh, a motivating way to teach braille and to encourage braille reading. Some tools that were were also really fantastic for us. Um, I have several students that use a Braille note taker, which is essentially a Braille computer with a, a refreshable Braille display where they're feeling the Braille and they're able to actually go on the internet, check their email. And that was also a huge piece of technology for several of my students. I would be remiss if I didn't also give a huge shout out if we're talking about Braille to the wonderful folks at our Braille and Talking Book Library, Uh, Kim Charlson and the whole team over there really came to our rescue and went in and said, if anybody needs Braille material mailed to their students, just send us the files. We will Braille it, package it and get it out today.
1: That's a big job, right?
2: I don't even know how many pages they must have gone through. I mean, it must have been just such an undertaking, but they were heroes in like, I would send a document and they would have it out that afternoon. And and, and in two days, my student would have that material in their hands. And I just, I'm so grateful for uh, for all the folks over there at the, the BTBL, Braille and Talking Book Library.
1: We've heard a lot from parents uh, across the board that they feel that uh, many of their kids really fell behind like lost ground just because of the nature of trying to get the information, keep their attention remote, you know, not having the community. But it feels as though from the description of both of you that a lot of attention and work was put into your community of students to sort of keep them on track. Do you feel that that worked? Michelle, I'll start with you.
0: I definitely feel that Mateo was kept on track because he loves technology and he loves using it. He was very motivated to join the the classrooms join the zoom calls and yeah. really participate in everything that they had so if anything i think he might have even done more than he normally would mm. uh, he was very very motivated because he enjoys the technology and and in some ways i think he was able to access things that he normally wouldn't because Perkins is so spread out sometimes you don't get to interact with a lot of the you know, even a lot of the friends, because they're all over the state or even out of the state, whereas being able to get connected through Zoom, you can stay connected and you can be involved. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. Mateo? So I, I, I do think and I do think Perkins made an extra effort to make sure students were participating and participating in things and making it fun for them. <laughs> um, one of the afternoon programs was Spelling Bees, which Mateo loves. So they're actually still learning, but they're having fun and they don't realize it. Mm. And how would you answer that, Rachel?
2: You know, there were definite losses in, in things that were more challenging. Like we talked about the social opportunities and the way we we educated the students had to change. But on that journey, there were gains that I wasn't expecting. For example, I have several students that are on you know, a track for higher education and, um, and hopefully, you know, might go on to college. And I often as a teacher, you know, panic and think, oh, there's so much to teach them and there's just not enough time. You know, I, I want to give them so much and, you know, you can't do everything. You, you gotta move on. They're gonna go to the next teacher. And I worry, uh, do they have the technology skills to, to make it in higher education? When I think about, you know, secondary and college programs and how they're run. And, and so much of that is so based in technology. And while our students are learning technology, always this year out of necessity, they learned a a massive amount of of technology and how to access technology that maybe wouldn't have happened all at once like that if it weren't the necessity that it was so they showed us you know what they were capable of you know because they wanted to be there they wanted to be part of their classes and they persevered and and with the help of their amazing families learned how to access that technology so that they could participate and i just think like that is such a huge gain that we wouldn't have benefited from if it weren't for the pandemic so i'm i'm trying so hard to really appreciate all the positives that have come out of this because uh, it may be different than what would have happened in a typical year but there was definite progress it was a different type of progress but really powerful
1: you just had a graduation and those students would have been pandemic students, so to speak, because they they had to finish up their last part of their experience at Perkins in the way that we've just been describing in this conversation. So I wonder if you both think that there are lessons learned from the pandemic that you may continue to put in place. Michelle, what do you think?
0: Well, I, I would hope that Zoom meetings would continue because Mateo was able to access things he would never have able to access before because such as example of him getting around, you know, as a blind individual, it's not that easy for him to travel. Even when, he, you know, when he's going to be an adult and living in a community and getting around, still trying to get around is difficult. So being able to just log into a meeting and, and be able to attend I would hope that that would continue. And this is even on the national level that he's been able to participate in all sorts of national Mm. groups for people that are blind that he never was able to do before. So I would hope that that would, that would continue for him. Good. Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. Is there something Mateo you would like to see continue? Radio.
0: Radio. Radio. Emphatic club. Yeah. All those, like all those clubs in the night, he used to come home after school and he wouldn't have, access to his friends and now he does in these in these you know social groups so mm-hmm. i think if anything he's actually more social now than he was because mm-hmm. he's able to access these groups last word from you Rachel
2: Mateo i love that you said that about how you connected with your friends and I think a lot of my students did some similar things. They they arranged their own Zoom calls after school and got together. And I think Zoom um, really opened the door for, for staying connected with people. I would agree with that. Also um as a as a teacher I definitely plan on continuing the use of tools like Google Classroom I found it to be a great way to organize and plan and I definitely plan to continue it or if I may not have not have otherwise also you know one thing that I am so proud of my students and their families for is learning to organize their time because when they were home time moved a little differently it wasn't like the bell rang and you went to your next class they needed to do a lot more planning and organizing, and that's part of our expanded core curriculum, which are those skills that aren't taught in a typical education. Things like executive functioning, organizing your time, our social skills, assistive technology. My students really worked hard to fill out schedules and find a way to, to list the assignments that we're doing to help keep track of, of, you kind of what they had to accomplish. And um, I think those are great takeaways, and I definitely hope we're going to continue using using those tools in years to come.
1: Well, congratulations to all of you for managing and coming out triumphant at the end of a very challenging year. Thank you so much for joining me. You're welcome. Thank you. Rachel Antonino is a lower school teacher at Perkins School for the Blind. Matteo Faso is a senior at Perkins and Michelle Conti is Matteo's mom. That's it for this week's edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. We're on the web at wgbh.org, news, Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, and available for download wherever you get your podcasts. Under the Radar with Callie Crossley is a production of GBH, produced by Hannah Ubele and engineered by Dave Goodman. Ibtisam El-Maliki is our intern. Our theme music is Fish and Chips by We Are Two Saxies, Grace Kelly and Leo P. See you here at 6 p.m. next Sunday. I'm Callie Crossley. Thanks for listening.